Colossians is one of the prison epistles. That means that Paul was uh, under arrest in Rome about 61 or 62 when he writes four letters. He writes Colossians, he writes Philemon, he writes Ephesians, and he writes Philippians. And this is probably the first of his prison epistles. And last week we were looking in chapter 2, and we saw that he warns us not to follow man-made religious tradition. <clears throat> and um, he based that advice on chapter 2 and verse 20, which I will show you, and you'll remember this from last week. He said, therefore, if you died with Christ, from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to these regulations? And then he gives us all these human regulations that uh, some of the Colossians are trying to embrace. And he says, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Notice the basics, verse 20. Therefore, if you died, if you died, you should not be doing these things. You see that? If you died with Christ, you should not be doing these things. Today we pick up in chapter 3 and verse 1, which says, if then you were raised with Christ. You see that? So he's going to give us a two-part formula. If you died with Christ, you should not follow these human religious traditions. If you've been raised with Christ, you should be doing something else. Now that language of dying with Christ and being raised with Christ is baptism language. So when Paul uses that language, he's thinking of being baptized. When a person repents of his or her sin pledges their allegiance to Christ in faith, and then they submit to baptism. In our language, even when we baptize in the church, we say, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and then what? Raised to walk in newness of life. That's the language you're going to see here. You're going to see the word walk. You're going to see the word die. You're going to see the words raised. And when we put our faith in Christ, we submit to baptism, and we indeed, the old person, goes down and dies. Now, I'm convinced that uh, in Baptist circles, we have turned this into such a ritual that it's lost its meaning. We hear the words, we say amen, but it's just a ritual. You go down, you go up, and the words are said. But in the New Testament, to say Jesus is Lord, and Caesar's not Lord, and then submit to baptism, and you go down and you die with Christ, and to submitting to Rome... And then you're raised with Christ and you're part of the kingdom and you pledge your allegiance to the kingdom. That meant something. And we sort of lost that meaning. So I want you to try to regain that meaning if you can. So, and I don't know how you felt when you were baptized. Maybe you, you just said, well, I trust Christ. I'm going to be baptized and just became a ritual. But we need to rethink this and apply it to our lives now. When we were baptized, we need to see ourselves as having died with Christ into the old way of life, and that we, when we came up, symbolically we were saying, it's like being born again. We have a fresh start. And so as a result of that, we should live a new kind of a life. So Paul gives us two commands. <clears throat> now in chapter 3, in verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, here's command number one. We're going to call this a heart command. Okay, a heart command. 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now, that's a heart command. To seek means to desire. It means to yearn for. It means to long after. See, It uh, means to pursue. It's a heartfelt inquiry. So if we have been raised with Christ, we should be seeking or yearning or, or pursuing what? Those things. You see that? What are you to pursue? Look what it says. Those things which are above. Now, when he says those things which are above, he's contrasting that with what we saw last week back in chapter 2 and verse um, 20 and 21, where he says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world you subject yourselves to these things? He says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning, now watch this, which all concerning things which what? Perish. Do you see that? Which perish. Now that we, so we shouldn't be concerning ourselves with things that are temporal and things that perish. But now that we've been raised with Christ, we should be seeking those things, now look in verse 1, which are above, opposite of the things that perish. We should be seeking things that are eternal. We should be seeking things of the Spirit. We should be seeking things of the kingdom of God. That should be our heart's desire, okay? kingdom affairs. So our hearts should reflect the reality that we've been raised with Christ. Christ is raised at the right hand of the God the Father. What are the things that please him? You think it's a new automobile? You think he gets a kick out of having a new automobile now that he's at the right hand of God the Father? I don't think so. The things that somehow please us don't please him. Okay. So we should be seeking the things that please him. And the things that please him are kingdom things. Okay. Does that make sense? So we see in these two chapters this contrast between an old life, the old way that we used to live, and the new way that we should live. We should have a new set of values. Now, <clears throat> he goes on to say, seek those things where Christ is, notice, sitting at the right hand of God. This is a position of authority. It's kingdom language. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's God's right-hand man. He has total authority. We should be submitted to his authority and seek those kinds of things. So that should be our heart's desire. So I'm going to call that a head command. Now, the second command in verse 2 is a, is a, that's a heart command. This is a head command. Look what it says. Set your mind on things above. You see that? Set your mind on things above. That's a positive command, isn't it? Look at the negative command at the end of verse 2. Not on things on the earth. Set your mind. This is a mindset. We should have a certain mindset. All of our actions should be weighed in light of the fact that we've been raised with Christ. Okay? So we have a command of the heart, which is seek. We have a command of the head, which is set. You see, there's a difference there, isn't it? Seek seems like a progress, doesn't it? 
something's progressing, if you're seeking something, if you're yearning for, you're desiring, right? But set, what does that mean? Now you're set still, aren't you? You're established. You see the difference? Heart seeks, the mind sets. The heart has an aim, right? But the mind has an attitude, which never changes. One deals with desire. The other deals with disposition. See, you see there's a difference there, isn't there? One deals with ambition. Okay. The other deals with allegiance. The heart seeks, the mind sets. And with that kind of attitude, Paul says you can never go wrong. Constantly be seeking kingdom things and have your mindset not to move away from that position. Now he gives us a reason for this new direction, these commands that he wants us to follow. Look in verse 3, reason number one. Why should you do that? Because you died. You see that? Meaning in baptism, because you died. Now, notice that's past tense. You see that? Verse 3. Because you died, past tense. Number 2. And your life is hidden with Christ, present tense. Two reasons you should seek things with your heart, kingdom things, and have a mindset because in the past you died with Christ and now you are hidden. Is that what it says in verse 3? Hidden with Christ in God. Now, what does that mean? Well, to be hidden with Christ in God uh, speaks of our identity. We are hidden in Christ, in God. So that means that I am surrounded by Christ, I'm surrounded by God, and his life is my life. The way I would liken it is a baby in the womb of a mother. It's hidden in the mother. The mother's life is the baby's life. There's no separation. You see that? And so this is the kind of command that he gives us. It speaks of our identity with Christ. Uh, he is our life, just like the baby's life is its mother's life because the baby's hidden inside the mother. It lives off the mother. That's what we should do. Okay. Now, you've heard people say, well, music is her life. Football is his life, or maybe her life. Cowboys are her life. Right? What does that mean, that music is her life, or cowboys are, is his life? It means that's the most important thing in his life, doesn't it? Or her life. Okay. Or he, he, he lives to work. What does that mean? That means the most important thing in his life is his work. He's, he's consumed with his work. That's what's on his mind, even when he's home. He's there, but he's not there. Because he's so consumed with his work. That takes up his time and his energy. Our aim and our ambition should be kingdom affairs. They, because we're hidden with Christ in God. We are, his life is our life. Now, not only does it speak of our identity, it speaks of our security. Now, let me show you. If you're hidden in Christ, you're safe. So, I want to imagine that this handkerchief right here <coughs> is the believer. That's you. Okay? Good to see Jean back. How you doing, girl? Didn't see you. Good to have you back, even though I know. 
That handkerchief is the believer. That Bible is Jesus Christ. Now watch this. The believer is hidden in Christ. And that coat is God. And Christ is hidden in God. Now how secure is that? Can you get any more secure than that? For you to get out of Christ, guess what he has to do? He has to get out of God, and he's not getting out of God. You see, so when it says that our life is hidden in Christ and God, it speaks of our identity, that he's our life, and we are absolutely secure in Christ. It really should be a word of encouragement to all of us. And then look at the result of all this in verse 4. In light of that, if you do what Paul says, you keep those commandments, and you realize that your life is Christ, and Christ is your life, and he's your security, then look at the result in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, meaning at the second coming, then you also will appear with him in glory. You're going to get in on it. That word appears means when he's revealed. Right now, can you see Christ? Now, he's hidden in heaven. Right? But one day, he's going to appear, and you're going to appear with him. Now, look, you are right now, we just saw in the previous verse, right now you're hidden. Is that what it says? Right now you're what? Hidden. But in the future, you guess what you're going to do? Appear. <laughs> see that? Right now, you're hidden in Christ. But guess what? One day when he comes back, you're going to appear with Christ and you're going to be with him. Who is? Those who have kept those heart commandments and desire the kingdom and those whose mind is set and they have pledged their allegiance to Christ. I'm afraid there are many people who think they're believers, but their life doesn't show it. And when Christ comes back, it's going to be a big shock because they're not going to be back there with him because this is not their mindset. This is not their attitude. So what we're to do is we're to live today in light of the future, in light of the second coming, the blessed hope. We should live holy lives because of this. Just like a baby. A baby's hidden. But there's a point where what? It appears. <laughs> See? There's a time. That no one knows. Well, it could be nine months, whatever. It could be nine months or a day. It could be seven months. There's going to be a day when that hidden baby appears. And there's going to be a day when you appear with Christ. We don't know when that is, so we should live a certain kind of life. And that's why in verse 5, Paul now goes into ethical instructions. And this is what we answer. This answers the question, how then shall we live? In light of the fact of the future, how should we live right now? And he gives us some practical instructions. <clears throat> and the first thing he does is he lists in verse 5, five vices. This is how you should not live. Okay, First he's going to deal with the negative. Therefore, look at verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth. <clears throat> and now he describes sins that are sins of the body. And here's some of the sins that you are to put to death. 
Number one, fornication, sex outside of marriage. There's one sin that Jesus says, and Paul says the same thing, that is a sin of the body, and it has tremendous ramifications, and it's fornication, sex outside of marriage. Guess what you're to do? You're to put it to death. Kill that monster. Number two, uncleanness, impurity, anything that would contaminate you, mind or your body. And this could be anything short of sexual relationship with another person. So it could be pornography, it could be all, any of those kinds of things. Number three, passion, lust, addictions, cravings, bodily cravings. Put those to death. Evil desires. Desires that are evil. I wish that person would be dead. I wish that person dead. I wish, I want to, you, you have a desire to see that person lose their job, and when they do, you love it. That's an evil desire. See? And then finally, in verse 5, covetousness, which is greed, which Paul says is idolatry because you put yourself at the center of the universe and think that you should have that and you should have that and you should have that and it's all about you. And you become a god. You become the center of your own universe. Now, all these kinds of things come our way as believers or he wouldn't have to tell us to put it to death. Right? <laughs> we have these kinds of temptations on a regular basis and here's his solution. His solution is put to death. You see that? The only time in the Bible where we are given orders to kill something. And guess what you're to kill? Yourself. <laughs> you're to put to death your members that crave these things. Assassinate these things. See? Execute these things. See? That is the instructions that we are given. Why? Because guess what? When you were baptized, you were what? Buried with Christ. This old way of living needs to be put to death. And if you were baptized and you didn't put it to death when you were baptized, guess what you need to do now? Kill the monster now. Put it to death now. Now, why do you need to take that action? Well, verse 6 is a very somber verse. Because of these things, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. These five vices bring God's wrath. And if you call yourself a believer, but you're doing these things, you will not appear with Christ when he returns. Instead, the wrath of God is going to strike you because these are characteristics. Notice what it says in verse 6, are characteristics of the sons of what? disobedience. That's describing a lost person. That's how a lost person lives. That's not how a real believer lives. The wrath of God will strike, and that's what he's saying here. So you're going to have, he's giving us a choice. At the Lord's return, either you will appear with him in glory, in the glorified body, or the wrath of God will strike you. See, and it depends on the way you're living. It's not that you live a certain way in order to be saved, but if you're saved, you live a certain way. See, and that's what he's showing us right here. Does that make sense? Now look at verse 7. 
He talks about those five vices. Now, this is a very important verse. In which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. See, that's how you used to live as a lost person. Now, not every one of us as a lost person committed fornication, but we had evil desires, didn't we? We did these other things, had passions, had covetousness. Hey, that's how you once walked. So guess what that means? That's how we are no longer to walk because buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection to what? Walk in newness of life. You see that? This is all baptism language. This is why I'm so concerned that we don't teach this in light of baptism the way it should be taught. See? So we need to put to death these five vices. So you no longer, that's how you once walked, verse 7, when you lived, continually lived in them. So there is a definite distinction between the way a believer in Christ walks and a lost person walks. Now, does that mean that a believer can't slip and do one of these things? Sure they can. Even in this room, we've, we've done, <laughs> every one of us in this room has committed one of these five vices, even as a believer. But guess what? You don't continue to walk that way, do you? You might slip, you might stumble, you might fall, you might make a sick, uh, uh, you might trip, you might give in to the temptation, but you don't stay there wallowing in the mud, do you? You need to get up. See. Peter puts it this way. The dog returns to his vomit, and the pig returns to the mud puddle and wallows in it. That is, why does a dog return to its vomit? Now, I've had dogs before. You ever, and you do too. You know what they do when they vomit? I know the difference between when you vomit and your dog vomits. <laughs> when you vomit, guess what you do? Yeah. Clean that stuff up. When the dog vomits, it goes, mmm. <laughs> See, the dog just laps it right up. And a pig, guess what? If you fell in a mud puddle, you get up and clean yourself up. But a pig, man, it just wallows. You're not to wallow in these things. If you do slip up, get up and stop doing it. That's how you used to live. I used to live like this. I don't live like this anymore. And if I slip, guess what? I want to change. I want to repent because I don't want to be judged. To continue this way means I'm going to be judged with the sons of disobedience. So the point is that when you become a believer, your life is different. And in the long run, you're just persevering. You're just taking one step at a time, walking in newness of life. Do you ever have a setback? Yes, but you get up and you move on and you live for Christ with your heart's desire yearning for kingdom things and your mind set in allegiance to Christ. Does that make sense? Now look at verse 8 and 9. So verse 7 said, in which you once walked. Now look at verse 8. But now, you see the difference? Verse 7, in which you once walked, now look at verse 8, but now you yourselves are to what? Put off these. Okay? Now, we used to walk in 
We used to walk in these vices as lost people. And the instruction is to kill it, put it to death. Is that, was that the instruction? Put it to death. Okay? Now what he's going to do, he's going to come to some respectable sins. If we're going to call those the worst sins, here are some respectable sins that you can get away with. Okay? That you think you can get away with. These are what I would call sins of good standing. You can be in good standing in the church and get away with these sins that he's going to talk about. The other sins, well, obviously, you know, you put a hit out on somebody, you're not going to be a good churchman. But here's what he says. Now watch. Those vices you are to put to death, but these, look at this verse 8, but now you yourself, and he puts the responsibility on us, are to put off. One, you're to put to death, the five vices, but these five things you're to put off. Look what, they, look what they are. Put off these. Anger. That's resentment. A lot of Christians can get away with being angry. You're to put it off. Okay. Number two in verse 8. Wrath, which means violent outbursts and rages. Put it off. Number three. Malice ill will. Number four, blasphemy. That means slandering somebody's name, whispering, gossiping about them, okay. maligning somebody, even in the church. And finally, filthy language. Obscenity. Foul speech, indecent language, suggestive language. I've just got finished reading a book by Frankie Schaefer, who was Francis Schaefer's son. You've heard of Francis Schaefer, the great philosopher. Son wrote a book, and I just got finished reading it. Lynn and I got finished reading it. It's just sprinkled throughout with this filthy language. And it shocked us. Why would you do that? You didn't have to use it. He didn't have to use that language. Maybe it was a shock technique. I don't know what he was trying to do. But guess what? The scripture says you're to do. Put it off. Put it off. Then he goes on and says in verse 9, do not lie to one another. And why not? Reason number one, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Again, this is baptism language. You know, in the early church, uh, we don't have a lot of pictures of this, but we, some of the records that we have is that when you went to be baptized in the early church, the second century, their custom was, that you took off your clothes and you put them off, which represented putting off the old life. And you were baptized. And men baptized men and women baptized women in the second century. And then when you came out of the water, you were given a white robe and you put on something new, which represented the new life. This is all baptismal language. And he says, you're to put off these so-called respectable sins that you can get away with and still be a church member, because, reason number one in verse 9, because you have put off the old man with his deeds, meaning at baptism, and reason number two, and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image 
of him who created him. Because when we were raised out of the water, which represents us being born again, we are now being recreated in his image and we are being renewed day by day from glory to glory. So, can you imagine Jesus just cussing up a storm, wanting someone dead? No, no, that's not how he lived. That's not how we're to live. We are being created and recreated in his image daily, and every day we should look more and more like Jesus. And if we slip and one day we don't, guess what? When you see the big picture of when Allen Street was lost and how I lived, and you can put your name there, and then when Allen Street got saved, and you can put your name there in the date, and then when Allen Street dies, and we have that lifespan as a Christian, from the beginning to the end, you should see a difference. I should look more like Jesus at the end than I did at the beginning. There should be this progress, this perseverance of the saints. And he says we are created in his image. Now watch this. According to the image of him who created us, now watch this. In Christ, where there is no Greek or Jew, there's no ethnic differences for those that are in Christ. You can be a Jew, you can be a Greek, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you're being made into his image more and more each day. Where there's no Jew or Greek, look at this, no circumcised or uncircumcised. No religious differences. No ritualistic differences. Circumcision doesn't make you more like Christ. Uncircumcision doesn't make you more like Christ. It's the fact that you've died to the old life, and you've been raised to the new, and whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, you are in Christ and you're being renewed day by day. Look at the next one. Neither barbarian or Scythian. Even People who are uncivilized. These are, these are describing uncivilized people. Uh, the barbarians were people who couldn't speak the Greek language. But they came to Christ. They're being made into his image, and their, their life is in Christ. The Scythians. You know, the Olympics are being held this week and next week, and it's on the Black Sea. That's where the events are taking place. The Scythians lived on the Black Sea, right where the Olympics are being held this week. And they were considered wild men. <laughs> but guess what? That's how they were, but in Christ, they are new creatures. There's no advantage or disadvantage whether you're civilized or uncivilized. Look at this. Slave nor free. Doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. But Christ, look at this. Not who you are, but Christ is all. You see that? He's really all that matters. Not your whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile or whether you're brown or whether you're white or whether your skin is yellow, whether you're a male or whether you're a female. That doesn't make any difference, you see. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, whether you live in North Dallas or West Dallas or South Dallas, that means absolutely nothing. As far as you're standing with Christ, whether you're part of management, you're part of labor, whether you're born on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, 
absolutely means nothing. We're all being made into the image of Christ. We're all hidden in Christ and God. We're all one. We're all unified. We're all part of the body of Christ. We're the church. Now, is there a distinction between a male and a female? Yes, but it doesn't matter in Christ's sight. Is there a distinction between a slave and a free person? Yes, but in Christ there's no, there's no difference. One does not make you more acceptable to Christ than the other one does because our relationship with God and our relationship with each other is based on Christ. That's why that verse says, in verse 11, but Christ is all. You see that? And then look at the last part of that verse says. And not only is he all, he is what? In all these kinds of people. See, so it doesn't matter uh, who we are. Christ transcends all these differences and all these distinctions amongst us. And he's the measure. Christ is the measure. See, Christ is the measure that we should be seeking for our lives in our church. Not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. That's not what you should be concerned about. What should you be concerned about? Christ. He is all, and he is in all. He's the measure of all. Does that make sense? So, last week, these people were coming and said, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, keep these man-made traditions, seek after these laws, and that guess what? Forget that. Forget that. That's not important. The important thing is what? Christ. See, that you're in Christ, and Christ is in you. So next week, we're going to pick up at verse 12, which says this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, now guess what? In the past verses, he's told us what to put off, anger, malice, all these things. Now look in verse 12. Holy and beloved, put on something. Here's what you should look like. Put on tender mercies, kindness. Humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Guess what else? Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do it. So next week we'll see what we're to put on and how we should live as believers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your...